Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. For many, our country has never felt more divided, racially, politically, spiritually. People are hurting and feel angry, afraid and confused. Who will heal our land? Only God can bring healing and reconciliation where we need it most. Through Christ, we can embrace race, experience unity, oneness, all despite who our next president is. The solution starts with God. In this series, we will ask God to heal the divided states of America and each week give a solution on where we can start now. I am so glad to see all of y'all smiling. Now I see y'all's smiling faces. Sometimes uh, glasses help uh, the glare of the lights. Um, Real quick, before we get started, uh, if you have a cellular device or a uh, tablet, something mobile, get onto Facebook right now. Go ahead and jump on it. Jump on it. Yeah, when uh, Pastor Jay uh, speaks, he's uh, a little little crazy, so uh, you never know, I might jump out and start dancing. But get onto Facebook and uh, check in for us, okay? Uh, this month's check-ins are, Ruben, help me out, this month's check-ins, day of care for people, and uh, how many of y'all been blessed by our check-ins? Anybody? I, I have been blessed by our check-ins. Obviously, it's not day of care for me. But um, these check-ins help us tell, tell people about our church and at the same time get to do real missions around the world. And uh, it's a simple, a simple time out of your day just to check in every time that you come into the church on Sundays, on Wednesdays. Uh, if you're a band, uh, band practice on Thursdays, any time that you get a chance to check in, uh, please check in because there are people uh, that that truly, truly affects. And uh, so go ahead and do that today. Um, something that we've been talking about, uh, we, we've been doing a series called The Divided States of America. The Divided States of America. And uh, how many, let's... let's Y'all might feel a little judged right here in this question, but how many of y'all have been here all four weeks so far, or three weeks so far? Okay, okay. Um, how many of y'all have been to at least one, one of the divided United States? That's awesome, okay? Uh, our services uh, these past couple of weeks have been extremely, extremely powerful, and um, the messages brought by Pastor Jared, the messages brought by Pastor Kevin have just been uh, impactful on my life. And I'm going to say that here in a little bit why uh, it's been affecting me so much. But on our first week, uh, we had Pastor Jared kicking us off, and he taught us that the nation was built on God. That our nation was built on God, and God is still in control. 
right? How many believe that? How many believe that today? The Bible says that uh, God is in control over all powers of the earth. People who are in position are in position because God placed them into position. And um, so uh, he taught us that the nation is still founded on Christian beliefs, still founded on God, and God is still in control. Then Pastor Kevin came up uh, in week two, and he taught us that we are an unhindered people, that because God lives in us and through us, we are not held back by anything that the devil or anybody else can do to us. We are unhindered. We are unstoppable. Um, something that I, in my Facebook check-in that week, uh, he made a statement right before I was, I was like checking in. He was making a, sta- a statement. He said, uh, we are unhindered and unstoppable, and that is because of the God in us, right? Amen. Week three, um, Pastor Jared last week talked about how God can fix anything. There's nothing too big for God. God can come in and uh, he can create the world, He can destroy the world, and he can definitely fix the world, right? And so uh, we hold on to that. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk about something very uh, close to my heart uh, for our nation. And uh, God had been telling me uh, some stuff I had been reading uh, in John at the time, and God just started pointing stuff out. And this was before uh, we started the Divided uh, States of America series, and uh, God highlighted something about our country, and about our state as Christians. And uh, he just kept pounding into it. I, I would like go to other books in the Bible just to stop reading the same stuff over again. And then the other books in the Bible would say the exact same thing as what John was telling me. I was like, come on, God. I want something different today. You know, but he kept pounding into me. And, uh, and Pastor Jared uh, made a statement. Like, as soon as I was like, man, I got to speak this somewhere. I got to teach this somewhere. And that week we were at staff meeting and Jared looked at me and Cody and said, hey, one of you are going to preach during this series. And I was like, yes. I tried to be humble in front of Cody. I was like, Cody, yeah, man, you can do it if you want to. But in my mind, I was like, oh, it's mine. You know, (laughs) my precious, it's mine. You know, (laughs) I turned into Smeagol for like a second, you know, anyway, um, I can't do the voice, so I wasn't going to try. But I was excited. You know, uh, I'm excited also because my parents aren't here yet, but uh, they will be here, and uh, and so I'm excited they get to hear me. Um, I'm excited that uh, God is speaking to us today through what uh, He's been showing me, and uh, uh, the reason why I brought up my parents is because my parents taught me uh, to hold dearly my right to vote as an American, and. And uh, I took this out of my notes, but there's two sides of me. There is the American side of me, and there's the child of God side of me. And it's not that they're at war. It's just that sometimes they don't communicate, right? The American side of me is the homegrown, uh, Captain America-loving, America-saying patriot, right? And I love America. I love it. And... When it comes time to vote, I take that very, very seriously. I look at both candidates. I, I try not to claim a side or a, a party. But what I do is I look very closely at each candidate. I look very closely at the state of our nation as a whole and what we need in those moments. And um, something that, that I uh, 
have looked at. I've looked at the running mates. I look at everything. I look at the articles. I, read, I watch videos. I try to stay away from mainstream media. Uh, I mainly look at what is happening on the ground rather than what is happening in full view. I look for those stories. I look for that character. And something that I'm seeing in our nation from all different types of people is a crying out for love. It's a crying out for love. And I see it in several different places. I see it in the families that were rocked by Benghazi. I see it in the families that are rocked by our war in Iraq. I see it in the, in, in the veterans who, you know, I don't know if you heard this article, but a lot of veterans are having to pay back their signing bonuses. And they're saying, this is ridiculous. And there's a cry of love coming for love from them crying out for understanding. I see it in the Black, Ma- Black Lives Matters movement. I see it. I see it crying out for love and reform. I see it in the LGBT, I said that correctly, right? Community. I see a crying out for acceptance. I see a crying out for understanding. And all this boils down to a crying out for love. And, uh, but I also see something else that is uh, not necessarily fighting that and not suppressing that cry, but instead is turning it to throw more flames onto the fire. It's taking that cry and it's turning it into kindling uh, for our nation. And um, that is what I have called uh, a poison of hate, lies, and selfishness. And uh, I see it in the riots, right? I see it in the people who are vandalizing and who are uh, stealing things, taking the moment of true crying out to exploit people. And uh, what that does is it starts t- turning up in us, uh, uh, everybody else who, who is seeing it, it turns up fear, it turns up anxiety, it turns up depression and sorrow for our country, and I see it everywhere. I see it in the riots. I see it in, um, in the indictments and in the, uh, the lawsuits that people are putting out there uh, just for random stuff, right? And uh, unfortunately, I also see it in our presidential election. I had to twice. I tried to watch two debates um, and uh, I twice turned the channel because I was getting so frustrated at the fact that all I was hearing was hate from both sides. Hate, 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 hate. And I kept asking the question during this is, I, like, if they could have heard me. I was talking to the TV when I was watching this, uh, much like I do in football. But uh, I was talking to the TV, and I was like, how does this affect me? How does your hate for one another affect me? Because that's what we should be addressing. That's what we should be looking at. And uh, today we're going to look at a verse, uh, John three ten through 21. Let's see if we have it. Do we have it? Thumbs up? No? Yes? Okay, cool. Everybody stand for a second while we read this. The Sky Bible, right? Let's read it. It says, you are Israel's teacher, okay? Let's pause right there. I got to give you some background, right? Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, a teacher of the word, 
named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was wholeheartedly in his question to Jesus. He said, uh, we, know, we know that you are from God because you're doing miraculous things. That's how we know that. And Jesus said, the only way to get eternal life is to be born again. And so Nicodemus was like, what? How are you supposed to do that when you're old? Right? Your mom's probably dead. How are you going to get born again? Right? And that's his, his question, a legitimate, wholehearted question. He wasn't trying to mock Jesus at this point. And he says this, You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, moving in our lives this week. Lord, I pray that we listen and that we have open ears and open hearts to what you want to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I have stopped... Um, it's probably because I'm uh, on the later edge of millennial, um, but I really have a hard time trusting mainstream media. I really do. So I've stopped watching mainstream media because it wasn't like I would watch it and then overly feel confident uh, and hopeful about our world, uh, especially Houston. When I moved to Houston and we would watch uh, uh, Houston News, I think Pastor Jared said this one time to me. It seems like every single night that we turn on the news, somebody died, right? And so I always felt like it wasn't like overly hopeful. It wasn't like I watched the news to have a feel-good moment, you know? And uh, so I stopped. I, I kind of pulled away from that. And it, but in the last election, I was all about it. I was all into uh, politics. I was all into it, and I was like reading up stuff. And I was like, "But this this person, like, you can't do this, and then this, you can't do that." And I was like all into it. And I got so far into it that I started becoming depressed, like depressed with my life. And I was like, "Everything's meaningless. I can't do anything. It doesn't matter what I say." You know, my vote doesn't count. That was like my favorite line, right? My vote doesn't count because I live in Texas. And um, like I would, I was like so distraught and depressed the fact that the uh, way that our nation was going. And, 
It was something that I couldn't do anything about. And uh, God showed me back then, and uh, this is why I kind of pulled back from the mainstream politics because I kept getting depressed. But God showed me back then, he showed me this, that America is not, has never been, and will never be the kingdom of God. And uh, he added something onto that. He said, so we should stop acting like it. So we should stop acting like America is the kingdom of God. And now, I, I know what some of you might be thinking, because I also have the American side to me too, right? The American side to me, it, it sure is the kingdom of God. It is the closest on earth, and we are the greatest nation ever, but we're not the kingdom of God as a nation. Okay, and uh, what I mean by that is that Americans should fight for morals, right morals. They should they should vote for their uh, convictions. They should stand on their convictions. But we shouldn't hang our hopes, dreams, and aspirations on a temporary establishment, something that is controlled by imperfect people in an imperfect land. But instead, we should focus our eyes on the one who created everything we know and everything else that we don't know. Right. <laughs> There's so many things that we don't know about our universe, about our world. And even the people who claim to know what it is that drives us, at their core thing, they go, well, we don't know. You know? <laughs> if you look at the smallest thing, all we can determine is that life is ran by an energy. Uh, energy. If, if we look at the beginning of time, the secular view is that there is a big bang and that there, these protons or whatever collided and made this big explosion and then you ask them, well, where did the protons come from? Like, it just appeared and they come together and they're like, we don't know. And they're like... So we don't know. We don't know anything, right? We're humans. We guess at things. Uh, if y'all have ever watched Robin Hood Men in Tights, we're like blinking up on the tree going, and he's like, blinking, what are you doing up there? And he's like, I'm guessing, because he's blind. He's like, I'm guessing. I guess no one's coming. That's kind of what we're doing in life as humans. We're just going, I'm guessing that this is how this was made. And then we base our whole belief system off of that, right? And the same thing in America. We guess America is doing right things around the world. We guess that, that America has policies that, that we respect, that people respect and honor each other in. But as we're guessing, we're seeing something completely different playing out. The past few months, uh, I've started feeling helpless again. Uh, but it's not for the same reasons as I did before. Last time I felt helpless, it was because I didn't have a voice. Last time I felt helpless, it was because I saw our nation as the kingdom of God going a different direction than when God was going. But this time I feel helpless um, because I started seeing hurt pain, frustration in the people all across this nation. And uh, mainly confusion. And I started feeling helpless because I was like, how in the world 
Can we bridge this gap in the divided states of America? How can I do that? Like, what is it? What is it? I can't go to uh, be president. I have thought about this. Thought about running for president. I'm not going to lie. That is one of the options that I came up with. And then I felt helpless because I have no idea how to even start that. Right? But that was an option. If I could just be president, right? Then I could just be like, love each other. You go write a law. You have to love each other. Anyway. But I would, you know, as, as, a, a, as a 28-year-old Texan in Houston, Texas, steel salesman, how can I help this gap that's in our nation? How can I bridge that? And uh, that's when God led me to John 3, right? When, like I was saying, he kept leading me there. In the passage that we just read, and uh, while I read it, there was a verse that stuck out in, uh, out of everything else. And I had read that passage over and over again because of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But there's a verse that stuck out to me that never did before, and that was John 3.14 through 15, this couple verses. And it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And all of a sudden, right, as I read that, all of a sudden I had these uh, memory flashes. And uh, I saw a flannel board with flannel cutouts of Moses and a staff. And uh, how many remember flannel boards? Not this section. This section obviously doesn't know what flannel boards is, right? But flannel boards, right? I'm on the tail end of that, right? I'm on the tail end of that. But flannel boards was how we did Sunday school, right? You had a flannel board, you had these cutouts, and they magically stuck, right? They, ma- they weren't Velcro. They weren't Velcro. They were just felt or whatever it was, and they stuck up on there. And uh, it was awesome. And that's how we learned our Bible stories. We had these little cutouts and we put it up. Well, my parents had this, uh, uh, like, books of uh, the Bible. It was like storybooks of the Bible. And it had these, like, elaborate illustrations. And I can picture this story's picture in that book. And that's exactly what started popping up in my head. And uh, so I went back to it. And that's uh, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And um, if you could, I I don't think I gave this one to look up, so I'm just going to turn to it really quick. I just realized I didn't highlight it in my notes, and that was bad on me. Um, But if you got your Bible, if you have, I call it a Bible, your Bible on your phone, um, then go to Numbers 21, and we're going to read 4 through 9. And some of you may have heard this story before. Some of you may be uh, aware of what the story is about. Um, But right before we read it, I want to tell you all kind of where they're at. Okay? This is the Israelites, and they have just finished their 40 years of wandering. And they're about to go into the promised land. Okay? So they're in this transition period, and this king, a Canaanite king, saw them coming and got worried. And so he attacked 
and he stole some of their people. He kidnapped some of their people, and the Israelites came to God. They says that they cried out to God, and they said, God, if you deliver these Canaanites into our hands, we will destroy everything that they got. And so God does it. God says, okay, yeah, go do this. You're my people, right? And uh, so they go, and they take their people back. They destroy that whole army, and now we're here, okay? So it says, uh, they traveled to Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. They were just crying out to God. Like a couple verses, if you flip the page, you would see them crying out to God. They're speaking against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Stop. These are the people that didn't even live in Egypt, right? These people 40 years ago were the people out of Egypt. That generation died. These are the kids, right? So they don't have any ground to stand on right here anyway, right? But they go on and say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There, oh, glory, that would kind of irk me a little bit. No bread. Did you tell me there's no pizza on the desert? Anyway, uh, there's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Stop again! Miserable food. Stop it. A little back, several tens of years, they cried out this exact same thing. There's no bread. There's no meat. And God did something miraculous Every single morning for them. He provided manna, which is called manna because they have no idea what it is. But it tastes good because they eat it, right? And it appears on the ground. And they go out and they pick it up. And they, that's their daily portion of food. Every single day, it appears on the ground. They get tired of just manna. And so they start crying out to God, give us meat. We want meat, right? Probably the guys. Probably the guys, the girls are probably like, can I get a salad or something? Guys are like, meat. And so God sends them quail, right? And I don't imagine that every morning they get up and the quail fly off, right? That would make it hard for them. And then they'd be like, God, why are you making the quails fly off, right? Yeah. So they would walk out, and I'm sure those quail just kind of sat there, right? We're there for them. So this happened every single day. Manna quail, miraculously appearing in the middle of the desert, everywhere they went. It wasn't like they were following a herd of quail, or whatever it's called, a flock, a murder of quail. It's that God was providing for them, and they yell out against his provision. They say, we are tired of this miserable, disgusting food. So, the Lord does something in verse 6. It says, the Lord sent venomous, venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. 
Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. This story, right, this story has one of the biggest illustrations of what Jesus did on the cross for us in two sentences of the Bible. And we're going to break that down a little bit. Let's look at uh, John 3, 14 through 17 one more time. It says, uh, okay, there we go. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, or his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. As we read, uh, as we read through it this time, does it make a little bit more sense what, what the Bible's saying? Does it make a little bit more sense? Right? Because Jesus told Nicodemus, I'm that snake that was, uh, he said, one day the Son of Man will be lifted up, just like that snake in the desert. Boom, it hit home for Nicodemus. He was like, okay, okay, the snake, right? Yeah, we got that. And then John goes on and he explains it. Jesus didn't come down to condemn us, he came to save us. And not just save us by coming down and saying, hey, you need to get clean. No, he came down and died on the cross, so all we had to do was look at him. And we would be clean from the poison that's in our system already. Before we go any further, I want us to look at a definition really quick. And that's the definition of what sin is. And uh, one of the greatest living theologians, his name is uh, Winky Prattney. And uh, he's a New Zealander, and uh, it's a funny name. It is. It is. I went to a Chi Alpha uh, meeting one time, and uh, Winky Prattney was the speaker. I had no idea who this guy was. And so when uh, my brother-in-law told me who the speaker was, I went, whoo! I was like, is that a nickname? That's not a nickname. That's his real name, Winky Prattney. He's a New Zealander, so... um, but he wrote a book called Youth of Flame, and in that book, he writes something very profound about sin, and it simplifies sin in such a way, it just kind of blew my mind at the moment. And he writes this, he says, sin is equal to selfishness. Sin equals selfishness. And uh, we're going to do a little game really quick, right? I'm going to name some things, and you're going to tell me what they have in common, okay? Um, Starting out, uh, we'll go for a big one. Murder, theft, adultery, gluttony, coveting, lying, cheating, drunkenness, abuse, rape. What do all these things have in common? They're all sins, right? My answer was, that's a correct answer. My answer was, these are all acts of a selfish person. 
If you really looked at it, these are all acts of a selfish person. These are what, and I took all those sins from the Bible, right? From a section of the Bible as they were listing it. And I looked at it and all these sins are from a selfish person. Now, stay with me because uh, this might kind of break some stuff off of y'all on the way that you see sin in your own life, okay? Uh, Some of you have been wrestling with the fact that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and he forgave you of your sins 2,000 years ago. Some of you are wrestling with that. And here, we're going to kind of dive into that really quick. It says this, uh, well, I say this, uh, but that is the beauty of the cross. Not only did Christ die on the cross for our sins, he died on the cross despite our selfishness, despite us being selfish, despite us holding on to us. And he did it 2,000 years ago. In the greatest act of love, Christ went to the cross knowing that the people he was dying for would still reject him, would still say that he doesn't exist, say that they killed him, they killed God, that God is dead. He still went to the cross even though he knew that Jonathan Knight would have years of his life running away from God, actively running away from God, doing things he knows is wrong, doing things he knows is selfish and doing it anyway in spite of his knowledge of God. He knew that we would live selfish, sinful lives. Yet he still gladly bore the cross. Now, all we have to do is look at the one that was lifted up. All we have to do is have a relationship with Christ. And I love, I think it was week one, Pastor Jared went into this. And he said, all we have to do to be saved, to be forgiven of our sins, is just to know Christ. Just to have a relationship with him. It's not what we do that gets the poison out of our system. Because most likely, by you trying to pull poison out of your system, you're putting more in. Only He can heal us of that poison. I feel like some of us today still hold on to some shame. And some shame from past actions. Some shame from what you did in an earlier stage of life, uh, maybe what you've, you did a week ago. And you, you bring that shame with you to church. You bring that shame with you into, into uh, your home. And you think, you, you, you say, God, I love God. I know God. I have a relationship with God. And I know he's forgiven me. And yet you still feel that shame. And yet you still hold on to that shame. I want you to know right now, That the moment that you looked at Christ, he doesn't see that poison anymore. Let go of that poison. Let go of it. Romans 8 says, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let it go. Uh, With this definition, I want us to look at 1 John 
1, 5 through, uh, this, okay, I have to say this because it bridges a chapter. Uh, 1 John, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. And it says this, uh, this is the message, right? We're going to substitute sin for selfishness as we read it. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and we are in the light, we want to shine like the stars. Okay, anyway. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all selfishness. Boom. If we claim to be without selfishness, we deceive ourselves, and the truth uh, is, is not in us. It's is. Um, if we confess our sins, our selfishness, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our selfishness and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not any selfishness, uh, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not be selfish. But, in, in, but if anybody does have selfishness, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not only our selfishness, but the selfishness for the whole world. See, Jesus... <laughs> okay, we'll go, back, uh, we'll go back to Numbers, right? In, in Numbers, it said uh, that Moses made the snake, he put it on the staff, he stuck it in the, the middle of the, uh, the whatever camp. And anybody that looked on the snake, if they were bitten by a snake, would be healed. Now, putting up the pole didn't drive the snakes out. The snakes weren't, it wasn't like the Pied Piper. It didn't run the snakes out of the camp. The snakes were still in the camp. But anybody who was, was bitten, all they had to do was come back to Christ. All they had to do was put their eye on the snake. That's the same thing that this is talking about. Even if you fall to selfishness, even if you fall to a, a temptation, a sin in your life, you can always, always come back to the cross. You can always fix your eyes on him. The only thing that can unite this country is the love of Jesus Christ. The reason why socialism, capitalism, and monarchies haven't worked is because people are selfish. If you really looked at it, socialism would probably be euphoria. Everybody happy, happy to eat the same things, happy to work for the same things. Oh, we're all fine and dandy. But I know I would hate that. 
because I'm selfish. I'd be like, why am I working so much for that guy? What? I don't get the same things. In a monarchy, people rise up and overthrow monarchies. Why? Because usually the king is selfish. Usually he's not spreading the wealth around, right? He's the one with the gold. He's the one with the grill. Saying, what's up, serfs? Hey. There you go. Some people who know history know what I'm talking about. Sub serves, you know, give me your money. Let me tax you so I can buy a new grill because this one lost a diamond the other day. I don't know where it went, but it's gone, right? So it doesn't work. Why? Because of selfishness, right? The only power that can cancel out one's selfishness is the power of love. There are people right now who are crying out for someone to show them love. You can see it as they cry out because of injustices. You can see it as they cry out against judgment and and look for acceptance. You can hear it in the cries of racial equality from the racial equality movement. Just as sin equals selfishness, God equals love. And so if we were to replace all of what I just said for God, people are crying out for God. They don't know it, but they're crying out for him. 1 John 4.8 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 1 Corinthians 13.4-8 gives us a clear picture of what love is. It says love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, other translations say it is not selfish, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If we're going into an election and I have to cast my vote, I want a president that's going to love this nation. Because by this, it tells us that they, we can always trust them. This tells us that we can always hope in them. And they will always persevere for us. They will always protect us. But people are selfish. As God's children, uh, God commissioned us to do the work of God's kingdom. And there have been three commandments that he's given. One, to love God. Two, to love people. Right? I talked about this the last time that I spoke, is how we can balance that. How does that play into effect? How do we love people? And uh, there's a side note on number two, because later on he tells his disciples, hey, love each other, right? Love each other. Because we can be caught up in loving other people that we don't love each other in the same community. And then the third one was go and tell the rest of the world the good news about love. The love that was shown us, shown to us is now our responsibility to show to others. But if we get caught up on our politics, our beliefs, our political beliefs, instead of our Christian beliefs... We will begin to block people's sight of the cross. We're called to point 
to the cross in everything that we do. But we can't do that very well while we speak hate about the very people we are supposed to be loving. Our job is to do this. That's our job. And as we grow in God, we take a step forward towards Him, but we always point. We always point because as we point, the people who see us walking up towards Christ and they're going, what is different about this person? What is it about them that is making them different? They constantly know why because we're pointing to Christ. The moment that that becomes broken is the moment that we start doing this or we start doing this. People will never see Christ, people will never see God if our fingers are always pointed at what they are doing and fingers are always pointing at what I am. Should always be pointed at who Christ is and what he has made me. Back in uh, John 3, the last verses of John 3, and I know that it's not going to be on the Sky Bible, but it says this. It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe stands condemned already. The people who aren't looking at Christ are already condemned. They already are, are away from him, are living in darkness. Our obligation is to love them where they're at. Because if we don't love them where they're at, they will never see the light of Christ. It goes on and says, uh, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God, uh, God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The people whose deeds are evil will never step into the light if that's what they love doing. And the, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit moves in people and draws people into uh, the light. And so there are people who are rejecting the light, and then there are people who can't find the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done, he has done through God. We cannot purge America of its poison ourselves. But what we can do is we can show, him, show them the one that can. If I could ask the band to come back up.
I want, uh, here as I close, I want us to think of some people in your life. I want you to think of some people in your life that you see a divide between you and them. Whatever it is, it, it might be race, it might be political stance, it might be um, the fact that uh, you are not on God's uh, football fan team, uh, the Cowboys. Instead, you are for Satan and the Houston Texans. I'm sorry. I, I took that too far. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Right? But what I want you to do is I want you to take, think of that person. Think of the things that divide you. And what I want us to do is I want us to think and figure out how we can show love either despite those things or we can show love to destroy those things. As we look at that, as we think about that, I want you to pray directly for them as I pray today. I want you to pray that you would be able to show them love, that you would be able to uh, put yourself aside and uh, show the light of Christ in the people around you and specifically on those things that is dividing you from them. It might not even be your fault. It might be something that they are holding against you. And, I pray, and as you pray, I want you to ask God for the strength to love them anyway, to love them despite that. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you did for us on the cross, God. I thank you for the love that you showed us. I thank you for the compassion that you had to love us and to die for us despite our selfishness, despite what you knew we were going to do, despite what you knew people were going to say about you. Lord, thank you. Help us show you. Help us show your love. Help us show your compassion, Lord God, in our country, in these things that are dividing us, Lord, these uh, racial tensions, these political tensions, Lord God. I pray that we conquer them out of loving those people, out of loving those people who differ from us, Lord, and that we aren't divided anymore, and that there is no cause of division because we love each other. We may not agree, but we love each other. Despite that, Lord, I pray unity over our church. I pray unity over our community. I pray unity over our city and our state and our nation, Lord God. As we approach these elections, Lord God, I know that there is a dividing line right now, Lord. But I pray that people will get out of that zone and they will start seeing that we need unity. And unity doesn't come from laws and regulation, but it comes from love and compassion, Lord God. I pray that, that as a nation we realize that, Lord, not just in the churches, but in the workforce, Lord God, not just in the workforce, but in our schools, Lord Jesus. I pray that we learn to love each other and care for one another, Lord God, and express that and show that and not let it just be lip service, God, 
but let it be a cry not just coming from other people, but a cry from us saying, I want to love you. I want to show you love. I want to understand your position. I want to know where you're at because where you're at is exactly where Christ calls me to go to show you love. Oh God, I pray that over us. I pray for anybody that has been clashing with people who they have been working with. I pray for any student that has been clashing with any other student in their school, Lord. I pray that any family members, Lord, I pray that if, if parents are clashing with their, with their uh, teenagers and their children, Lord, I pray for um, our parents, Lord God. If we have hurt or pain or resentment, Lord God, that we can learn to show your love in every aspect of life. And in doing that, we see the purity that comes from the cross in our lives. You've already forgiven us of that selfishness, Lord God. Help us live in love. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.